0: Okay. No, no more of that dirty language that you all been using. Oh yeah, <laughs> erase that from the record. Um, okay, so we're in the middle of chapter thirty-five. We're on page three eighty-eight slash three
1: eighty-nine. I forgot something.
0: Your book. And the story begins.
1: I just the story begins or something.
0: The story begins. There we go. I, I did forget. This is an important chapter. Um, that's not to say the other ones aren't, but I see this chapter as so relevant um, to our understanding of Judaism, to our concept of Judaism in general, our relationship with God, and our relationship with people. Last week we discussed a an important paradigm shift. In a relationship, our actions are more valuable than our passions. What the, is tr- the author of the Tanya is trying to address is how is the Benini, who is perfect at mastering his actions, but not his passions. How is he supposed to justify his existence knowing that he's never going to master his passion, com- uh, uh, controlling his passion? He's never going to be at Sade. He's never going to totally internalize the divine soul. He's just going to be action-centered. How is he going to justify his existence? What am I here for? If I'm never, if I have this yetzer harav, I have this evil inclination or an animal soul within me. And I have this internal battle. And I'm never going to transform it. I'm just going to suppress it. So what's the point in an endless battle? So what the author is trying to do here is shift our focus into realizing the value that action has over passion. Essentially, and we'll soon see how this actually, um, this will make more sense as um, as we unpack the chapter. There's an advantage to a benini over a tzaddik. In many ways, a benini has a more selfless relationship with God than a tzaddik does. And we'll soon explain what that means. But before we do that, we have a parable. The author brings a parable. From the Zohar on page 388-389. We're not going to do it inside. But the parable basically is. You have a candle. And there are multiple parts to a candle. There is the jug. Candle itself. um, There's the wick. There's the oil. And there's the flame. If you have a wick. With no oil. With no fuel. The flame is not going to. Um, it's not going to ignite. The flame isn't going to last. Similarly, you have a human being that's like that wick. You have the divine presence. That's the flame. In order for the human being to host the divine presence, there has to be some sort of fuel. And that fuel is good deeds that's what it says mitzvahs mitzvahs that are that fuel just like a wick in order to have a flame to host the flame needs fuel in order for a human being to host the divine presence to host god needs good deeds needs mitzvahs it needs action For some reason, feeling good about God is not good enough to host him. We actually have to do what he wants. And we'll soon explain why that is. In other words, let's take a step back here. I have a divine soul. Isn't that good enough to host God? (laughs) What do I need actions? What do I need to work hard to host God? I have a soul. I have an Ashama. For some reason, that's not sufficient. Let's take a look on page 390 the uh second bold paragraph the second bold english paragraph starts with the implication here is you see it yep. the implication here is that the soul alone despite the fact that it's a piece of god above does not suffice to provide oil for the wick to cause the Shina, the divine presence to rest in the body if the soul is an
2: actual piece of god why wouldn't that be enough any thoughts before we get to the answer? The question is clear, right?
0: The question is the in order for to have the flame, the divine presence, rest on us, the wick, we need fuel. That fuel are good deeds, that fuel our action mitzvahs. Why does it have to be mitzvahs? Why can't the divine soul, which is a piece of God, serve as fuel? If my divine soul,
2: which is a piece of God, can't house God, then how are my mitzvahs supposed to house him? Why are mitzvahs more. Act, more, more um... Is it because they're the physical?
0: Okay, they are the physical. Okay, good. Any other thoughts? You're thinking well, along be, actions, the right lines.
2: Actions being louder than words.
0: Actions do. Okay, good. Action speaks louder than words and definitely than feelings, right? Just to take a step back. The soul is not sufficient. You need action. What is a soul? Thinking back to the beginning of the Tanya, how do we define soul? Back in chapter three. Um, I don't remember which page it's on, but let's see if we could take a quick look.
2: Um, If you look back on chapter 3, page 57. um, It's the third paragraph of the page
0: in English. Just as God has two types of spheros, serving his inner self and the external world, that sounds confusing, but just don't worry about that for a second. Similarly, this is the important part. The human soul is divided into two, intellect and emotions. A soul essentially means intellect and emotions. How I intellectually and emotionally experience life. And th- that was basically the foundation of all of Tanya. We have two souls. We have two sets of intellect and emotions. We have the divine intellect and emotions, the animal soul intellect and emotions, and they're constantly
2: trying to dominate us. Who's going to take over? Right? Um,
0: So now back over here. Let's take a look back in our chapter, page uh, 390. The soul is not sufficient to serve as fuel, which means how I think and how I feel about God. How well I understand him and how I feel about him isn't sufficient enough to house him. That's not going to be good enough oil. I need actual behavior, right? Let's think about that in our relationship with people, how you understand somebody or how you feel about him, about them is not going to create, uh, it's not going to be a
2: sufficient relationship you have to actually be of service to them right
0: especially in a, in an intimate relationship in a marital relationship and it's no different in our mar- marital relationship with god how i feel about god is is important don't get me wrong and how i feel about anybody in a relationship is important but that's in the context of action of behavior what it motivates in other words feelings are the driving source are the driving force behind behavior? In fact, there's a, a modality of therapy, which I absolutely am fascinated by, called solution-focused Brief therapy. Has anybody heard of it? It's relatively new. It basically focuses on solutions, not on the person's feelings. And the reason, you know, on behaviors, how can we make some sort of change? Because um, dysfunction, whether it be relational dysfunction or psychological dysfunction, um, happens in cycles. The goal of the therapist is to break that cycle by getting the client to make some sort of behavioral change. Now, one may argue and say, hey, if you're focusing on behavior, Aren't we supposed to be dealing with their emotions? Isn't that what's important here? But emotions are the driving force behind behavior. That's the ultimate point of emotions. And if we focus on our behavior, that's we'll get the emotions, we'll get there. And it's no different in our relationship with God. Yes, how we feel about God is great, but what is that going to motivate? Make sense. So plugging that knowledge back into 390 what a soul means how i emotionally and intellectually how i cognitively process right so how i cognitively process god the soul alone even though it's a piece of him it's not sufficient to
2: house him how i feel about god isn't going to be good enough why not right now we just stated a fact we didn't say why not though The reason is, let's take a look on, uh,
0: right where it says section three, why mitzvahs make the Shechina, the divine presence shine.
2: We'll read it inside. Everybody's with me, right? Everything's clear or unclear? Yeah? Raise
0: your hand if you're good. Mike, I don't see your hand. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) i'm just teasing you um the answer right under section three the answer will be clarified and explained for any intelligent person in the following lines that's a lot of pressure there by the way (laughs) no okay (laughs) um now a person's soul second paragraph right where it says section three and now a person's soul even if that person is a tzaddik worshiping God with reverence and pleasurable love. So even if you've totally internalized the divine soul and you're over the hill on cloud nine about how you feel about God, you just love God, you really do. And you revere him genuinely, right? That's not an experience we all have too often. But this is the way this person lives life. Even if you're on such a level, which is rare, nevertheless,
2: that soul does not lose its separate identity Completely. In other words, it doesn't have Bittal. Love is not Bittal.
0: It's actually the antithesis of Bittal. Right? Which would enable it to be extinguished and literally absorbed in God's light and merge completely with the absolute unity. Rather, I'm going to read to the next paragraph right, right under. Rather, the soul retains its separate identity as one who is reverent of God and a lover of God, but he's not one with God,
2: right? The goal in a relationship is to become one, right? Actually, if,
0: you know, our, our, we've been saying this a lot, our relationship with God is likened to a marriage. That's how King Solomon in his book, Song of Songs, Shir in one of the books of the Bible, describes our relationship with him as a marital relationship. Look at the first um, informal marriage in the Torah, Adam and Eve. It says, a a man should leave his parents' home, cleave to his wife, and become one. The goal in the relationship is intimacy, to become one. To become one means it can't be about you. It has to be about the relationship. If my focus is my love of God,
2: it becomes about me, not about the relationship.
0: As powerful as love is in a relationship, in our relationship with God, I'm passionate about God. That There is a tinge of arrogance there.
2: A small tinge, but it's there. Any thoughts, comments?
1: So in the uh, Bahabta, he starts out with the feelings and then he goes to the action.
0: Right? Exactly.
2: So
0: exactly. When in other words, the purpose of you. feeling. Sorry, what? I didn't you mean to you, off, you
2: off, sorry?
1: So
0: What?
1: You can't have one without the other.
0: Well, you you can, it's just not conducive. In other words, it's not the goal. If you can if you do have one without the other, it's a problem, but it's possible. But but that's exactly the point. Right after Via hafta, you shall love God, it spells the mitzvahs, tells us some of the mitzvahs. In other words, what is the love of God supposed to lead to? The mitzvahs. Love is supposed to motivate action. But if the focus is the love, it becomes a self-centered experience. Manus Friedman. Are we familiar with Manus Friedman? Rabbi Manus Friedman? Um, His entire philosophy, his entire book, he has a new book called The Joy of Intimacy. He also has a movie on it called The Lost Key. It's all based on this chapter of Tanya. I don't know if you've heard Manus Friedman's talks or not, on intimacy and on marriage. It's very interesting. The lost interesting.
2: what?
0: The lost key. I'm sorry? Keith. No problem. The lost key. And he has a book on it called um, the, the Joy of Intimacy. And it's basically based, he doesn't say this. I'm, I'm, I'm spilling his secret here. He's going to get me in trouble. It's this chapter that he bases everything on. If you've heard his talks about marriage and about relationships, this chapter will come to mind. And Or if you're going to listen to it or if you're going to read his book, you'll notice a lot of similarities between what he's saying and this chapter. He has a very fine way. There we go. He has, he has a very, have you read it, John?
1: You're muted, muted, John.
2: Is it a good book, John? John, you there? He's muted.
0: You're muted. Did I mute you? No, don't think Sorry, I'm I didn't ready. realize I was talking all that time with uh, <laughs> being muted. Um, no worries. So, so the first answer was, no, I haven't read it yet. Because you can't handle more than one book at a time. Um, I get you. So the second answer is I can't answer because I don't know. But I went, I bought this the last time he was here. He talked, right?
1: Isn't that why he comes just to talk? Right? Was he promoting the book?
0: Yeah, he goes on tour.
2: It was a book tour. He
0: he had a you know he goes around he had he he's been all over like on talk shows and on like um, interviews you know
2: he's I think on some I saw- TV. I think I saw well,
0: him in Napa. Oh, yeah? yeah? He was on a TV show, on some talk show in, in Oregon. He was interviewed by Dennis Prager. He's been, he's been around. He's been on CNN. He's, he's been all over the place. But if you notice his theme, he has a reoccurring theme in his talks about relationships. And try this. Listen to his talk on relationships. Read this chapter particularly this section we're discussing, or you could even listen to this recording, and you'll see a, a, a similarity. I'm exposing his secret, and he's going to get me in trouble for this. I hope he's not listening. No.
1: <laughs> so it seems, to me, it seems easier to do mitzvot than to feel the love. I mean, I the whole thing about coming to Chabad was learning how to which I didn't know, which I didn't know when I came, but is learning to have a relationship with God. But, right. But so don't the rabbis usually say, if you don't have a relationship, do the mitzvot and then you'll build the relationship. Fake it
2: until yes. you make it. Right.
0: F- fake it until you make it. Now the truth is it's not really faking it. It's real and it's meaningful. I'm just not aware, but ideally in a perfect world, you want both. You want the experience and you want the essence. You want the, the love, the passion, and you want that to motivate action. But there is going to be times in our life where we're not, because we're not perfect, we're not a tzaddik, that we're going to have one or a choice between one or the other. Right? I could do something. I could do what God wants. Or I could do what makes me feel good about God. Right, I can make it about God or I can make it about me. Ideally, we want to bridge the two. I want to make it about God and I want it to feel meaningful. Because that that makes it more intimate. That makes the relationship intimate when we're interested in our relationship with God. But sometimes we're going to have a choice between one and the other. And it's either going to be about God or it's going to be about me. And in other words, it's going to be about what God wants us to do or about how we feel even within the context of the relationship. And if we have that choice and we're stuck in that dilemma, we really should make it not about us, but about God, because that's ultimately the purpose. And it's no different in a relationship in an interpersonal relationship. Ideally, you want to serve in the relationship and that's something you want to be passionate about. But if it's just passion against just service, one feels good, but it's self-oriented. And one is not doesn't feel good, but it's relationship-oriented. What feels good, what's going to keep the relationship going? What kept Judaism going for thousands of years, throughout persecution, throughout expulsion, am I pronouncing that right? Uh, throughout the Holocaust, throughout the Spanish Inquisition, throughout throughout history, what kept
2: Judaism alive was not our passion, but our commitment. Essentially, our actions, because it, it does it becomes divine centered, God centered, not self centered. Makes sense. That's not, to, um,
0: that, that, that's not to minimize the importance of love in a mitzvah, of passion in a mitzvah. Ultimately, that's what the Hasidic movement came to do, is to re-inspire a feeling in mitzvah. So it's not this dry observance. But it's important to appreciate the value that a mitzvah
2: has even without action. Sorry, even without passion.
0: In the sense that it's divine centered, and we'll explain how that is, how that works. As this will become more clear in a few minutes as we unpack this. So we just ended off saying what we just read that however passionate we may feel about our relationship, we're an independent existence. We don't have Bitel Right? Bittle means I'm part of something bigger than myself, not about me. But if I'm centering it around how I feel, I'm making it about me. Let's take a look on the bottom of 390, the last bold paragraph, all the way in the bottom. But this is not the case with mitzvahs and good deeds. not the case. Because those are the will of God himself totally emerged with him. So it's not about, it's not feeling good about him. It's actually being one with him.
2: It's not about feeling good about God, it's being one with God. And the reason why that is, is because a mitzvah is God's will. You could love someone or you could do what you or you could do what they want, right?
0: Which one, one of them is, if you have them both, that's a deep relationship. That's great. But if you only have one,
2: right, you love someone, but you don't really care about what they want. You just care about the experience of love. That's
0: not necessarily functional.
2: Sounds kind of empty.
0: It, it, it is empty because it's all about feeling it. And, and um, it's all about how I feel. It's self-centered. A relationship centering around love, and it's not to say love is not important, God forbid. But when that's what it centers around, it's essentially about each individual, how they feel, rather than the relationship itself. When it centers around mitzvahs, when it centers around filling
2: the other's will, it becomes other-centered. a lot more peaceful
0: you're not looking for what makes you happy you're looking for what is going to propel the relationship which will make you happy this is exactly what i tried communicating to this couple that i was counseling it's a but it's a paradigm shift it really is a paradigm shift and requires an, a great deal of humility
1: So you, uh, in a relationship, obviously you can't be in love with your spouse all the time. Maybe some people can. <laughs> Maybe I'm abnormal, but uh, you. Thought- that that's
0: like the bainini, you know, in Todd in, in love with God all the time, right? The bainini isn't during davening; he is, <laughs> but
1: he's not all the time. And you still have to do what's right and, and consider it for the other person. And then it comes back, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and it's no
0: different in our relationship with God. It's no different.
1: So God would never make a uh, an improper request or a self-centered request or a request that is bad for you. I know right. that we have argued with God like like Abraham did, but I would assume God never makes a request which is unhealthy.
2: Or, or, yeah. unre- or unreasonable.
0: Or, or, unreasonable. It, or unreasonable. And that's what um, makes a relationship deep, by the way. That level of trust. A person trusts their spouse that what they're demanding from them is necessary. And helpful and not detrimental that's all you know that makes the relationship deep and it's the same with our relationship with god just like in our relationship with god or in a relationship between people what makes a relationship really strong trust if there's no trust in the relationship what is holding it together you don't trust each other so now you're looking over your shoulder you know the In our relationship with God, we have to trust him.
2: Trust that what he's asking us to do is actually good for us and it's good for the relationship.
0: And sometimes the things that he asks us to do are even counterintuitive. And like Lynn, you put it well, we have to trust that it's reasonable, even
2: though to our minds it seems unreasonable. It's a level of trust. You know, when we clearly know that
0: God said to do something, and we say, yeah, I don't think that's what God meant. He couldn't have,
2: you know, where's our trust in him? The, what motive, what what this takes really is what we refer to in Hasidus as Bittal. i'm open to something bigger than me even though i don't get it fully but just trust can, can you really compare a relationship with god as as you could compare a relationship with another human or any yeah, i mean you know they're just not they're not Uh, you know it's not gonna be a perfect comparison (laughs) no because you can't i mean you could think of another human being disappointing or letting you down or something like that but would you put
0: god in that context you know it it won't be a perfect comparison you know not everything's going to be parallel but there's definitely um, a lot to learn in both directions there's a okay. lot to learn about a relationship with God in our relationship with people and vice
2: versa. Let's take a look in the bottom of 391. And that now, just to recap what we're saying,
0: to put it real simply, the the trait of will is much uh deeper than the trait of love. We do what God wants, it's about God. If I if I'm focused on just how I feel about God, loving God, it's about me. That's why, actually, in chapter four, we mentioned that the garments of the soul. Which means the performance of mitzvahs are on a higher level than the soul itself, than its wearer. Because the soul itself means its passion and its understanding of God. And we're saying that its garments, the performance of the mitzvahs, are even greater than that. For the same exact reason one is self centered and one is God centered. Ultimately, we want to bridge the two. You want to be wearing those garments, you want your passion to motivate action
2: so that it's meaningful. The
0: reason why ultimately this will house God's divine presence is because that's
2: where there is Bitzl. Let's take a look on the bottom of 391. Now, the meaning of the Shekhinah,
0: the divine presence of God, resting on something, is that godliness and the blessed infinite light is openly manifest in that thing which means that that thing is absorbed in god's light next page top of 392 and has completely lost its separate or independent identity in the presence of that light now here's the reason here's the key over here, because it's only then that we can say that the reality of one god rests and is manifest in that thing Since that thing retains its identity, we have two, not one. I'm going to read the next paragraph, and then we'll talk in a second. So long as the thing hasn't lost its identity completely in God, as long as we remain independent, the light of the one God, the Shekhinah won't rest and won't be revealed over there. In simple English, God will only reside where there is, uh, where, where there is total betel, right? Like the Kotzker Yebe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of was once asked, where is God to be found? To which he responded, wherever you allow him.
2: <laughs> if we want
0: God to rest in us, we have to allow him in. We have to make space for him. If the relationship with God is f- focused on passion, obviously there should be passion, but if passion is the focus, there's not going to be space for him because it's centered around us, not him. If the focus is on what God wants, not what way you want,
2: that creates a space for him. That creates more room for him. Make sense? Raise your hand if you're, if you're on the boat. Okay. So let's take a look on, um, In the middle of 392, the
0: bold paragraph, even a complete tzaddik who is bound with God, bound to God with great love, even if you're totally passionate, you can't be a vehicle for the light of one God to be revealed because in truth, no thought can actually grasp him. However much you understand God and how much you feel about him, you can't really get him. You're just it's just about how you get him but it's not him that's just how you understand him right a a parallel where i see this in, in interpersonal relationships is often in counseling they warn the therapist that not you know make be careful when making big judgment calls on somebody else's life on a client's life because what you see is an hour a week slice of their life you don't really know them. You don't know them in the context of other relationships. You don't know them in the context other than how they are sitting in your office. You don't really know them, right? However much you're going to know them and sit with them and work with them, however vulnerable they're going to be, you know them in a very limited context. And it's the same in our relationship with God. We might feel passionate about God and I might feel that I understand him
2: and that I, that's a very limited context. I'm a human being. I'm very limited. Which means my feelings are not sufficient enough to actually get him. If I want to get him, I have to do what he wants. About a hundred years ago, roughly,
0: I don't have the exact year, maybe less than a hundred years ago. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, the father of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, It was in his synagogue, they were celebrating Simchas Torah. And simchas Torah is a lively, uplifting, you know, it's an inspirational day, especially if you're in the right environment. And they were participating in a Simchas Torah for Brengan. They're sitting around the large table with tons of Chasidim, and they're saying l'chaims, and they're singing, and there's words of inspiration, and they're with their ebb, and there's, if you could just imagine, picture a moment, what the environment must, must have been like. Very positive
2: environment a very uplifting environment the it came time for mincha for the afternoon prayer
0: it was supposed to be at a scheduled time and rabbi yosef Yitzchak's secretary was supposed to um, he was in charge of the scheduling and he was supposed to tell the Rebbe, hey time for mincha but he was ex- enjoying this inspirational experience so he decided to, to keep quiet. <laughs> you know, let things go on. At some point, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak noticed. It's time for Mincha. And he looks over to his secretary. And he says, uh-uh-uh. He says, let me tell you something. Relative to God, this world
2: is nothing. Because compare the world to him. You can't. He's its creator. He said, Go
0: to the lowest level of heaven, where it's an incredible divine experience. No, but relative to God Himself, you can't compare. Go to the higher levels of heaven. You still can't compare that to God Himself. You're not going to experience God, you're just how you feel about Him. Go even higher. Go to, and he starts listing all these different Kabbalistic levels. Levels that are not Kabbalistic. Levels, all the different levels as described in Kabbalah. Different levels of heaven. Different levels of divine experience. However high you're going to go. It's nothing compared to him. It's just how you feel about him. He says, you know how you get him? You come down into this physical world and you do mincha. He says, you're so caught up in the experience, which is what this for bringing was, which is a beautiful thing. But it's supposed to motivate minchab services. It's supposed to motivate
2: action. If it's just the experience, it's, what's the point? We're missing the point here. The Rebbe writes in Hayom Yom. Hayom Yom
0: is a daily calendar according to the Hebrew days of the year, and it's a short dose of inspiration or an insight or a, a, a custom. It's one every single day. There's an entry for each day of the year. One of the entries of Hayom Yom, it was authored by the Lubavitcher, one of the entries of Hayom Yom, he writes in the name of the Alter Eber, the author of the Tanya, that he once announced in the shul that the angels up in heaven which are on fire in their relationship with God. They really are. They're super passionate. They would give everything up to answer amen to Kaddish, like we do, which they can't do. They would give everything up if they could just say amen in Kaddish. To us, it seems like nothing, but to them, it's more valuable than their passion because one is about God himself and one is just about how we feel about God. They said for the next year, the way they would respond to kaddish and shul, that you could it left an impact for an entire year. Um, There was a rabbi known as the Vilna Gaon, Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna. He lived in the same uh, time period as the al Rebbe, as the author of the Tanya. He was a little bit older. They had a relationship. Put it that way. Um, put it at that. <laughs> they had a relationship with each other.
2: Vilna Gaon, Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna, was on his deathbed and he was crying.
0: And his student said to him, Rabbi, you're an incredible scholar, you're an incredible uh, man of good deeds, and a person who loves God, reveres God. You're a Jewish leader. Why are you crying? What are you worried about you think you're gonna go to hell (laughs) what are you worried about come
2: on rabbi so he said i'll tell you what i'm worried about in heaven i'm just gonna love god okay good
0: but in this world i get to experience him for a couple of pennies i get to put on a pair of tzitzis for a couple of pennies i could buy a sitter and pray For a couple of pennies, I can give charity. Those pennies to charity. For a couple of pennies, relatively, I could buy a pair of tefillin and put them on. I could light the Shabbos candles. I can hear the shofar. I can have a relationship centered around what God wants. When I die and go to heaven, I'm going to experience God, but it's going to be centered around what God wants. It's going to be centered around how I feel. It's not going to be the ultimate relationship. That's why it says in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, one moment of teshuvah and good deeds in this world is greater than the entire world to come. Because in the world to come, in heaven, it's an experience. Experiences are nice. But over here, it's actually God himself that we can we, we can unite with. Although
2: we don't yet feel it, we will when Mashiach comes. And we're going to talk about that in the coming chapter. Let's take a look. We'll read the last uh, little bit here on bottom of 392.
0: Bottom of 392, second to last paragraph. And if this is the case, that no thought can actually grasp God, that's what the Zohar says. No thought can grasp him, which means the way you need to get him is not with thought. No thought can grasp him, which means he's graspable, not with thought, it's with action. And if this is the case, a person who loves God, since he's a separate entity and not nothing, he's not part of something bigger, amid such a consciousness of separateness because of his independence, no thought of his can grasp God at all. And the light of God won't rest and be revealed on him through thinking and feeling about God, which means in English, however much I am passionate about God, that's just me about how I, that's just about how I feel about God, it's not God. Last paragraph on the bottom of 392, and then going to the top of 393. Rather, God's presence will rest through observing mitzvahs, which are undiluted will and wisdom of God,
2: without the hiding of God's face, as we'll discuss below. Just to recap, is how I feel about
0: God And there's what God wants. One is centered around me. One is centered around him. Although the Bainini will never have the ultimate love for God and passion for God 100% of the time. He has an opportunity for his relationship to be God-focused, not self-focused. Because it's focused more around action than around passion. It's not to say passion's not necessary or important, but when we have a choice between the two and we can't bridge them, ideally we would want to bridge them, but if we can't, make it about God, not ourselves. It makes the relationship more sustainable.
2: That's my story and I'm sticking to it.
1: Okay, we're going off the record.